This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Dr. Kate Leeming. Kate is an explorer and adventurer who has biked tens of thousands of miles around the world, including 15,000 miles around the Australian continent in 2004 and 2005, and also 22,000 kilometers across Africa from Senegal to Somalia. In 2019, she became the first person to cycle 1,600 kilometers through the sands of the Namibian coast and is working toward the first ever Antarctic bicycle crossing via the South Pole for her educational outreach organization, Breaking the Cycle. Thanks for joining us, Kate. It's a pleasure, Jeff. Uh, Good to be there on the other side of the world. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Speaking to you from around the world. Well, I wanted to start by asking you about your first memory of going on an adventure. You've got this long list of accomplishments and adventures uh, that you've undertaken. So how did it all get started? Yeah, well, I, I actually grew up in Western Australia on a farm that was fairly remote. Well, it's about 80 miles uh, east of Perth. And, mm. and uh, you know, I didn't really have the confidence to travel or anything like that and didn't really have the opportunity till after I I left university. You know, I was a pretty high-level sports person and in, in a bit of an all-rounder, and I just loved cycling as a way of keeping fit, you know. Um, and mm. then I sort of imagined... Wouldn't it be amazing to cycle in, in in France or Italy? And I read a magazine article and thought that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Then I did have the opportunity to go to Europe, to the UK first, um, playing field hockey. After that, I organised some little trips, and that sort of led to to bigger trips. And over the space mm-hmm. of the next couple of years, I did about fifteen thousand k's, about nine thousand miles through Europe, and that was really just you know my personal discovery and mm-hmm. and that's where I started to discover what I could do on a bike and I really sort of discovered my passion and um, so it started with a little trip in Ireland uh, with a friend and then and then a bigger trip in France and over and um, so I guess the reasons I really love to travel by bike is because I'm very connected with the people in the land and, mm-hmm. and I love sort of that idea of bringing a line on a map to life mm-hmm. and I find it gives a great sense of place and a perspective of how the world fits together so yeah and of course you can eat a lot and and, and it's just, <laughs> you know it's just i felt very free and yet mm-hmm. it's a very humble sort of form of uh transport and and especially mm-hmm. in europe where it's it's just so accepted you know cycling through france and spain and italy in particular um you know people go out of their way to to help you or they're very kind and um yeah that's that's kind of where it all all started and that's where the passion grew but then and it started to grow after that <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah that yeah. was a while well when you were growing up on the farm you know was it like a big farm where you could like really go and and sort of get lost you know away from the house or were you at an early age like trying to venture beyond that and saying like well what's outside of what's outside the fence you yeah, know well, i'm gonna uh, go on my bike yeah. and i'm gonna take off for a few hours and just see what's out there well um, I, it was adventurous in, in that um, our farm, well, 
it's not a particularly big farm in 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 that part of the world. It's about uh, two thousand acres. Um, mm. But our nearest neighbour was, you know, five kilometres away. So, oh, wow. um, and my, I, you know, I'm one of five, but we're all sort of quite spread out. So that meant spending a lot of time on my own, but also making things and with my, mm. and I probably spent more time with my next sister up or my younger brother. But but it was always, yeah, we we're always doing things. It was so, looking back on it, we're just you know so lucky. To do that, but Western Australia is probably you know the very isolated you know from the rest of the world. So to mm-hmm. get to anywhere, yeah. even the eastern states, as we'd call it, you know, it was actually quite expensive. You know, I remember going across to play uh, f- field hockey, like a tournament in say Tasmania or whatever, and it's like it used to cost mm-hmm. about eight hundred dollars, and that was oh, with wow. student discount. You know, so it's not like the US in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. So that sort of means that you don't tend to travel. We didn't certain travel, and and it was much more difficult than than now to do so. Um, so, but in terms of just exploring and doing things, and just around the farm or within Western Australia, uh, especially the southwest corner, yes, we certainly did things like that. But it was really probably once I got away from my not didn't need to get away from my family, but but once I was actually out there, you know, on the other side of the world trying things out for myself and, and where I knew that they couldn't worry about me. And I guess, you know, when I first started saying, you know, I was cycling and I was in the middle of France and my friends had gone off doing something else. So I was cycling through France on my own. They're all really mm. worried, but I wasn't because by then I realized this was cool. <laughs> this <Right>. is cool. <laughs> um, but I always, you know, family, especially parents always worry. So, um, you know, I always try and respect that and, Make sure that you know I, I, I mitigate the risks, and and uh, um, once they sort of get used to it and and they understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, that really mm-hmm. helps. I don't actually tell them what I'm doing until I'm really <laughs> about something. So yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine too, growing up on a farm, you learn to be pretty self-sufficient, and you know, just kind of like making things work with what you have. Uh, which I'm sure comes in handy on an expedition where you are truly, you know, somewhere remote at times or isolated or, you know, you just have what you brought with you in a lot of cases. And um, seems like you had a good sort of background in that and, and being able to, to do that and have confidence to do that. Yeah, I think it's um, you just have to work things out and and on a doing, you know, as a kid, that, you're right. It was a great grounding. Um, not that I knew what I was going to be doing, but um, uh, yes, it's certainly that idea of being alone or managing things or just taking the initiative when needed and mm-hmm. being aware around. So, you know, on the farm, obviously there are dangerous things around you everywhere. <laughs> right. yeah. using, you know, your father's tools or this or that, but it's also just, a, you know, being aware of uh, how, how to stay safe and, and, and mm-hmm. avoid those dangers would be that'd be that'd be pretty true yeah 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 well the other connection i wanted to make is with your sort of educational outreach organization and and the breaking the cycle this side of the adventure so i'm curious to know were you a, a good student in school and did you enjoy learning it seems like you know you're always up for trying something new and and experiencing new places so i imagine you were a good student but is was that the case Yes, I I was definitely a, a you know did well at school. I was 
I was a conformist. I didn't really buck the system, but I used the system pretty well because I was mm. probably, you know, the best all-round sport in my school, my town. And then when I went to Perth, you know, I was I represented my state in four different sports. So oh wow. So it was kind of like um, I guess that's also had a big effect on what I do and how I do things because that's still in me. Like I'm still a professional sports person now. Mm -hmm. So my approach in terms of my expeditions kind of also is, is affected by that and how I, I plan for stuff and, you know, knowing how to knuckle down when you have to do that and, mm -hmm. and how to be committed and playing in a team when needed, and, you know, all of those things. Um, and I'm I think yeah that that sporting background in both individual and team sports is really um, very very valuable and in fact they help each other because um, when I was sort of just to divert a little bit with the school bit but I um, I'm now a, a real tennis professional a court tennis professional which is like the original game of tennis mm. and um, when I started combining uh, the expeditions plus the tennis I found that actually it helped my tennis because I huh. got to really tough moments in a match. You know, I found I was much more present and much more, I was a better competitor. <laughs> so I think I had wow. a better perspective. So they kind of help each other. Um, but back to, you know, after, from I went through school, I went through uh, university, and then I went straight back to school again because I became a teacher. And mm. And I guess what really struck me when I went back to school, i.e. working as a teacher, as a physical and health education teacher, is that the kids would teach me more than I knew myself. You know, I was in a school with about 57 <laughs> different nationalities. And, mm -hmm. and I realised I'd also led a very sheltered life, you know, on the farm and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I just needed to get out there and explore the world. So that really – so when I had the opportunity to go to the, um, to the UK – um, first and, and then travel through Europe, you know, I, you know, I really just needed to see the world and understand better how it fits together. So that's probably all those things affected probably um, the things that I do now and certainly with the education. So I've never really used my teaching degree that much, um, but, um, but I've always wanted to support, you know, education is so important. Mm -hmm. So, um, I didn't really know how to combine that with my the adventures, certainly in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. or, and, and then I met a fellow who really inspired me, a named fellow called Robert Swan, who's a polar explorer, the first person to have walked to both the North and South Poles. Oh and wow! He 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 sort of when I was planning my first big expedition across Russia, um, he really took me under his wing and really inspired me. And he he also taught me that there's much more value to what I was doing than simply riding a bike mm. and um, so ever since then I've always tried to contribute in some way and the, the first expedition the Russian one was about aiding the children affected by the Chernobyl disaster mm -hmm. uh, but after that everything's been to do with pretty much with education education for sustainable development and um, it was actually my journey <clears throat> Uh, so, so I did a 25,000 kilometre journey through Australia, which was a uh, official activity for the UN Decade of Education for Sustainable Development. So it's the first mm. time I had a little education program. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't very good, but I made <laughs> and I realised how hard it is to do that, and and you know I needed help 
creating those things. Um, and, and then uh, with the African expedition, breaking the cycle in Africa, um, uh, this time I, I had the support of um, uh, the Victorian Education Department here, so the state of Victoria um, in Australia. So, so they mm -hmm. had a program and then you know, things started to become more effective. And then so each thing that I've done, I've kind of developed things. And with um, uh, Antarctica, that's mm -hmm. when I started to actually put together break. I kept breaking the cycle as a brand name because I thought it was really mm -hmm. good. And, yeah. and that's what I've, I've added because added in or started to create breaking the cycle education. So it's kind mm. of, you know, that Robert Swan's right. There's so much more value uh, to what I'm do doing and, and, and they're all that effort that goes in. I'm trying to realize that value. And I think one of the best ways that I can do that is to be able to share my experiences and learning mm -hmm. and, and work towards, you know, um, leadership and, 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 um, contributing towards making better global citizens. So yeah. You know, that, yeah, it's a really cool concept to sort of I mean, there are so many things that I, I feel like people can take away from these expeditions, you know, I mean, just the sheer like inspiration, obviously, I'm a big fan of like, reading stories about these types of um, expeditions and adventures that people go on. And, and that alone is inspiring just to see like what people are capable of, but then to tie in the educational element, like I, I was even thinking about like my own kids and how much they could learn in terms of like problem solving and planning and, you know, learning about other cultures. I mean, it's like endless, the educational opportunities that it seems like are available there. How do you, come up with one of these expeditions? Is it first about, you know, here's a thing that I want to do, a place I want to visit, or is it um, here is, you know, a mission that I want to help, you know, whether it's poverty somewhere or um, education, or or is it, you know, how can we reach the most people and educate people? Like where does, what's kind of the seed for it? And then how do you build off of that? It's a very good question because I think each expedition is quite complex. Um, and, um, I think I, it, it, like with each expedition, I grow and learn and it changes, you know, it becomes a little part of me. It changes me a little bit. So, mm -hmm. so even though I have certain journeys and things I want to do in my mind, I, I, I sort of, I wait, I can't commit. I wait till I've finished an expedition. I often get ideas on that expedition. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. Um, but each, like I couldn't have. Um, I couldn't have organised or done the Russian expedition without the first experience in Europe and then, you know, mm. Australia and then Africa, you know, didn't have the confidence to travel through Africa at all. I really wanted to, but but everyone said, you know, this is a dangerous place and this and that. And I, I knew other people cycled there, so it must be possible. Mm. And, and then, and in fact, this is probably a good way to explain how I um, put together that expedition. So I was looking... You know, at, at, then I look at the story and what story do I want to tell? And that's probably the most important thing is to, because, and it's got to be something that I really want to see and do and believe and mm -hmm. experience. Um, and so the way I got my African idea was that I was looking at a map of uh, education levels across Africa in particular. Mm. And I can see basically a band of countries in most need of improved education running basically across the base of the Sahara through the Sahara region. So, 
So basically from the most westly tip towards the most eastly tip. And I thought, oh, now that seems like a really interesting theme to start with. And then I started mm-hmm. researching. I put a massive amount of research and realized that actually that was all about, you couldn't just look at education without looking at all of the causes and effects of extreme poverty because that's right. they're all interrelated. So that ended up becoming the purpose of the journey uh, to explore the causes and effects of extreme poverty, but the specifically what's being done to give a leg up rather than a handout. Because I was, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm doing, I, want to, I don't want to just be all gloom and doom. I, you know, I'm creating an inspirational story. I'm going to be meeting all sorts of people. Uh, I'm going to be mm-hmm. finding out about different, you know, things that are hard to, to learn about. Um, but I want to be able to present that in in a, in a context. So, so you know, I wanted to, you know, to give hope. And, and create a story of hope and inspiration rather than a negative story. This is bad and this is bad because there are right. some bad, some difficult things. But, but you know, Africa, as I, I very much learnt, uh, is, you know, it's the most diverse continent on earth and there's hmm. so much there and there's so many bright, smart people that often just don't have the opportunity. So um, so that's kind of how that, that, that journey um, happened and then because that was my purpose I then looked at how how am I going to tell this story because just cycling through these sto- these issues are so complex so then I, I teamed up I actually had 10 different partners and 15 different projects that I visited during that journey wow. and so the sh- if, if you look at the route the shape is sort of going across the base of through this base of the Sahara and through the Sahel and into the Sahara and then I dropped right down towards northern Namibia, uh, through the west side, through um, you know Gabon and um, Republic of Congo and Angola and, and down to Namibia, you know, and then and then back up because it was <clears throat> for some reasons it was to do with a little bit of safety trying to go through you know Eastern Chad and Darfur and things like that would, would have been difficult. Um, uh, so part of it is about safety, but but then. Um, it was also about telling the story, um, and I just had it. And then, then, how do you keep safe? You know, and I just had this this net, massive network of um, different organisations. I, I had lots of, especially Australian resource companies with interests in Africa, because they always had hmm. connections to the governments. They had their their bases in difficult places and cities. I mean, that's how I got through Somalia. I didn't just Turn up, the, turn up at the border and say, "Let me in," because that wouldn't have happened. Um, right. you know, I, I actually made all these very specific connections and connections with the governments that protected me, and and so it worked a, a treat. You know, I got right across to the very tip of Somalia through war zones, through the lot, in a continuous line without breaking the line, and wow. meeting all these incredible people, and got there four days ahead of schedule after ten months. So. It's possible, you know, um, but you can see how that that expedition, how the idea came together, and then you've got to, you know, pull it all. You know, what what is the story that you want to tell? And I think that's, if you know, creating an expedition, um, that's kind of how I work it. And you know, there's always a budget and all that kind of thing. So I've got to make it run to a certain time and try to work mm-hmm. things out. Um, and and yeah, so it's all got to come together really. And and then with that, you know, I was connecting with kids back in Australia um, that time. Um, and now I'm working with, with on the education front with, there's an American organization called Beluga 
um, I'm, I'm sort of we're creating resources right now. It's very difficult to get that. Um, it's all right to go into classrooms and things. Yes, I can do that. But to get to lots of students all over the world is very difficult because I think the US, like Australia, is like, you know, each thing, each education um, department is run by each state. And so just, mm -hmm. you know, something happening in one state doesn't mean you're going to get it right around the US or Australia or right. Canada or the UK. So it's, um, you know, it'd be, be fantastic if there was a better system to do that. Um, so I also work with um, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. Um, so uh, it's, it's known as the International Award in, in, in the US. Um, and that's just, it's, it's all about uh, leadership and being able to it uses adventure as one of the things and, and learning new skills and serving in the community. Um, uh, yeah, so it's um, it's an incredible award that it's quite hard to get. So I work a lot mm -hmm. with them. Um, sometimes I've done a few things for scouts as well. So I've had some connections with scouting. So it's all about leadership and getting kids out there and, um, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Well, are you able to connect directly with many of the students? Like what kind of feedback do you hear from them? Or like, what are some of the, I don't know, questions or the parts of the story that they're most interested in typically? Um, well, you know, if they're, if they're responding and following my blogs, you get some, depends on their age, really. <laughs> I think, you know, in Africa, it's like, have you seen any lions? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then, then, it's a good one they're reading the blogs that's it's also about um so they're always worried about the animals um mm -hmm. um but then if they if i was telling a story about you know a certain issue or whatever then they often have a lot of concern so it's just making them aware and getting them to ask questions um mm -hmm. uh, and and we've actually created um not that it hasn't been taken up by many people yet but but i've created sort of a how to set up a, a project it doesn't have to be an expedition but it could be whatever mm -hmm. starting with you know uh, identifying passions and what are passions mm -hmm. and then what are values and then creating mm -hmm. a vision what's your vision and this is what i do every single time so i might as well i should you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and then from from that vision you know um, you know what's you know what's your idea and, and how you're going to put it together and use a bit of what's called design thinking to actually create a project or a journey mm -hmm. and then test the test do a little test run do the theory um, how does it need to improve and then create your bigger vision um, mm -hmm. and then analyzing it all after it's done so that kind of thing is really valuable because quite often people don't have the get the first step they don't know how to make that first step they think oh right. that's what i do and they say oh, i can't do that that's, that's so annoying <laughs> yeah <laughs> like are you sure um you know yeah. i i started off by tr you know trying little things and then that gave a bit more confidence you know and then you know that grew and grew and grew so that's on the expedition side but then on the other side of it it's about also getting better at uh, communications about documenting and mm. analyzing and and you know I've written a couple of books um, but it's you know things like being in doing the media I was that scared me you know just you know, <laughs> radio for the first time really you know it scared me being on live TV it's scary stuff right like, yeah. so it's just like okay if I want to be able to communicate I've got to get better at this um, mm -hmm. so so you know and same with other skills photography 
or or whatever or filmmaking of course so mm-hmm. um i'm i don't have any technical skills for holding a camera but i'm pretty good at telling a story so mm-hmm. uh, that is combined with some other professionals when it comes to filmmaking seems to work pretty well um uh so so, so there's a lot of other things. You know, the cycling's the easy bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. That's hard to believe, and that that part probably scares people the most. So, one of your uh, most recent projects, one that is currently um, hitting the internet this summer, I believe, um, was in 2019. You completed a traverse of the Skeleton Coast in Namibia. And uh, there was actually a documentary that was made about the trip called Diamonds in the Sand, which I believe is going to be on outside TV here in the U.S. anyway. Um, Tell us a little bit about the trip. What got you interested in that particular route? Um, Well, I'd kind of heard about the Skeleton Coast probably in the mid-90s. And there was a British explorer who, who walked from south to north um and then since then no one had done anything because you can't actually get permission to cover most of it or lots of it and particularly um, there's a forbidden diamond mining area in the south which you just don't get permits to do whereas he did it just Mm -hmm. as Namibia was becoming a country and probably Mm. get through because of that um and so i kind of it just seemed like a really interesting place because of all the shipwrecks and things and it was desolate and there's this desert and um um, and then on top of that because i'm planning as you mentioned earlier planning to cycle across antarctica and yes i've been doing expeditions in the extreme cold in the arctic uh, to prepare but also cycling on sand is very similar to cycling in snow and Mm. i've undertaken to do an expedition on every other continent other than antarctica so I did an, another sand expedition in Australia that was very interesting. And uh, so, so I kind of opened up and, and, and so for Africa, I, I, I thought oh, this, this could work really well. Um, and I could use the same bike that I, I've been developing for Antarctica. And so I looked into it further and then realized that this is why no one's done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not called the Skeleton Coast for, for no reason, right? I mean, it's, it sounds pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, so cycling from basically the northern border, um, so the mouth of the Kunene River, which is on the border with Angola, to the mouth of the Orange River, which is on the border, Namibia's border with South Africa. So it's, say, 1,600 k's or 1,000 miles. 800 kilometers of that is absolutely no road. So I'm cycling wow. on the beach uh, and working with the tides. Um, I Because I'm planning to cycle in Antarctica and there I'm going to have terrible wind, especially for the first half of the, going towards the South Pole, it's, the wind can be shocking. I thought, okay, let's choose to go into the wind. And so mm-hmm. maybe it's, this is one of the windiest places on earth. The, oh, the, wow. dominant, uh, the dominant wind comes from the southwest. It's a, it's a coastal. Western Australia gets a similar um, uh, trade wind as well, but, but this is probably worse. It's like it, it, it's unreal and it's relentless. So, so going from north to south is much, much harder than going in the other direction uh, in the sand with no roads. Um, yeah. uh, so, so that's why I chose to go from north to south. Um, and to say the first, there's 
no habitat, no points of habitation at all for the first um, first week. So about uh, I can't remember 350 kilometers or so, and there's a little tiny settlement and and then you know having to go through lion territory um i, I did it i didn't support it because i there's no way i could have carried what i needed to carry there's actually one 500 kilometers where there's no way i could even get water let alone food and wow. i'm going through the desert so um yeah so so that enables me but traveling supported enables me to, to have it filmed properly um mm -hmm. whereas on my own I just can't capture it to the level that's needed. So, um, how do you even support a trip like that? I mean, if there aren't roads, like how, how is anybody even carrying water or camera equipment or any of that stuff? We still drive on it. Um, and, okay. uh, so I found a, a, um, small, very specialist tour operator who does, who has the licenses to go into that Northern area, which you can't just go there. Um, mm -hmm. You need to actually have um, various limited licenses, and he holds all the concessions. So there's about 24 concessions that can be used each year up there, and mm -hmm. he has them all. So if a tour operator wants to use it, then they've got to get it from him. So mm -hmm. um, so that's how I found him, and he loved my idea. And so he organized <laughs> um, the support. So he had to have two vehicles because if one got stuck, the other one could pull. Right. <laughs> And these guys are expert drivers. Like you should see them going down, you know, hundred meter drop sand dune, like straight sheer face, and they're just gliding with the sand down. The, the, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, the brakes even help you at one point. It seems like you, you, know, just, you just keep sliding. It's incredible. So, um, wow. so so this fellow, he didn't come with us, but he arranged the a couple of these people, and and so we had different people joining us, specialists for the different regions. Um, mm -hmm. and so that was a part of it. Um, so it becomes a different type of expedition, but, but still <laughs> I'm like, I'm going walking speed the first few days cause I'm just getting belted. Um, and, and, and also because it's tidal, yes, I can follow the beach, but the beach isn't particularly like there's about two hours in a day when it's relatively firm. Uh, and mm -hmm. then after that the tide's coming in and I'm, pushed up into the soft sand. So it's just, um, sounds no. miserable. I mean, the, the sand alone sounds rough, but to have the wind too, mm. uh, I can really get on your nerves when you're riding a bike. Well, you, it's all about attitude and, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, it was the perfect training for Antarctica because I was, you know, mm -hmm. to learn how to deal with that mentally. And, um, you know, normally on a bike, you know, you have your, cycle computer and you're watching that probably and you think i've got to do this amount of distance and you can usually hit those because it's mm -hmm. even if it's a bit slower or something you can hit them but you, i don't know what what i'm going to hit with the next pedal stroke let alone anything else but, you know, <laughs> yeah it could be demoralizing to look at the gps and yeah, to so say just, my goodness yeah. it's been an hour and i've gone like two kilometers yeah well, certainly five kilometers an hour was was what I was down to a few times and I'm going, okay, wow. I need to do 50 Ks a day to get my expedition done. Um, so, so yeah. So the first bit was very hard to, I was just managing, managing to, you know, just creep up a little bit, you know, get over mm -hmm. the 50 a few, a few times and I was a couple of times under. So I was, it was right on my limit. So I was right with that. Um, and also when I do these expeditions, even though it, it would help to be, 
super fit. Uh, it's crazy putting them together. It's probably the hardest thing I do is pulling all the ends together, getting everything, you know, all the people or um, mm -hmm. just, every, you know, moving out of my comfort zone in Melbourne here and, you know, traveling around the world to get to a place and with everything yeah. that you need and all of the communications, the education side. So I'm just exhausted at the start and I just have to pretty much bite the bullet. I mean, I test mm -hmm. to make sure my knees all right. I do some sort of intensive training in the gym. I try to get out for a couple of rides to make sure, I'm, you know, it's real. But then, you know, and often I even get a little bit sick before I start because it's so much stress. Oh, so so yeah, I'm sure. then the start from, the, like you'd think, is the most desolate place and the wind is, you know, every, especially in the afternoons, but not only. Um, it was just amazing. So, so I was just mm. trying to, with my mind to just think, okay, let's just break this down into little goals. Don't, don't worry about distances. Just try to get the time done and mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, keep moving forwards. And, and that's, that's distance. I don't have to do again. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and it's just trying to find that right space in my mind. And, and it's such, even though it's desolate, even though it's harsh, even all, you know, all of those things, it's also, exciting you know i can't you know pinch mm. myself i can't believe i'm doing this how, how do you end up cycling <laughs> down a beach in the middle of namibia or not the middle mm -hmm. but on, on the edge in this place that's taken shipwrecks it's the most treacherous treacherous coastline pretty much in the world um uh, uncharted territory you know it's you know coming across you know ships have been rusted down to nothing a lot of them are no no longer there or mm frigate like the Dunedin star and all there's a tiny little bit of metal left and that's it oh, and, wow. and and those stories you know like ships used to land but it didn't guarantee that they survived because they didn't know where they were right. there was like nothing around yeah. hundreds of kilometers and they didn't have any water or whatever so so actually just landing on the beach you know saved them temporarily but not always you know didn't not all of them made it so mm -hmm. uh, most yeah. of them they did in some way if they got an SOS signal out but yeah, so so mentally, if you focus on all of those things and thinking this is, this is quite amazing, I'm doing something that no one's done before, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and I just love that kind of challenge. It's such a privilege. So if you focus on those kind of things, it also helps to get through mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, well, you mentioned that you uh, rode a special bike as a unique all-wheel drive fat bike, mm -hmm. I believe, um, for the Namibia expedition. And it sounds like it's also one you're planning to use for the Antarctica uh, expedition. So tell us a little bit about the bike. Was this Is this something that you're building yourself? Is this like a custom bike or is this something... Um, that people can go and pick up if, if they're doing their own expedition? The way it all started was I, was I was trying to design or understand what is the best bike to, that I could use to cycle across Antarctica. And mm -hmm. what, what, what is the design? I, I, I actually went to the U.S. in terms of started. I picked out a couple, one in particular, one um, uh, sort of innovative frame builder um, in, in Maine, actually. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Davis Carver, and he was just so into this idea. So we we traded, who knows, hundred emails more, and looking at different designs. What's what would cut it for such a you know, difficult place? Um, mm -hmm. and, and then I came across, we came across this design 
a fellow called Steve Christini in Philadelphia who'd made an all-wheel drive mountain bike. And right. the, looking at two-wheel drive stuff before, but there was just like external chains and retrofitted cables and things, and they're already inefficient mm -hmm. and going to break. But this was like <laughs> built in through the shaft and it mm -hmm. looked like it might cut it. But he'd only ever made it for a mountain bike. So I tracked Steve down um, and I posed the idea of would he like to, to put his technology into a fat bike um, mm -hmm. and to, to cycle across Antarctica. And he, it, it's, you know, he hadn't even been making bicycles for quite a while because his business has gone on to make motocross um, mm -hmm. and they, they make uh, all wheel drive uh, motorbikes for like the US Navy SEALs and things. Um, mm -hmm. But his passion is, is he loves bikes. He just hadn't been able to make it really pay. So he made the first one and I tested it up in Svalbard, which is Norwegian islands, about 80 degrees north. That was my first um, Arctic trip. And it wasn't perfect, but because mm -hmm. it couldn't support a wide enough tire, like the technology has to be built around the width of the wheels. And that becomes mm -hmm. quite difficult. Um, but then the second one, when I, my second journey was in northeast Greenland. Uh, he built the second one, which could hold a Hauser 4.8 inch wide tire. Um, mm. And and so I'll try I'll trial that one in northeast Greenland. And then he's since made two others that I've trialed in uh, Arctic Canada and then in um, uh, Iceland. But wow. the, number, the number two, uh, the, the, the Greenland bike is it became my dedicated sand bike because obviously sand isn't mm. very good for, for bikes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Imagine it's, it's more, this is a very complex bike. I mean, it's got, like you said, these drive shafts that are, have gears and various internal and external parts is, does they get along well with the sand? Did you run into any problems um, with that? Uh, it, it's actually quite astonishing how well that lasted. And I believe the skeleton coast is possibly the most, corrosive environment on earth for machinery like cars and things. So I guess that it's oh, yeah. bikes because of the salt, fog, sand, moisture all the way. Like it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's a good test. Um, right. And, but so I've just kept this one bike and just changing the parts when needed and keeping that for the sand numbers three and four are, are kept for Antarctica. And they're sort of, um, so this, this bike can tell a real story and, and, and one of them, <laughs> Skeleton Coast. Um, uh, so it, it handled very well. And um, what's amazing, because people think, ah, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a gimmick or it's got to be really hard to push this thing uh, when, when it's switched on. Um, mm -hmm. Not. And that's what's amazing, because the way he somehow calculates all of the mechanical advantage, and I'm not a technical person to tell you, use the right terms, but, um, mm -hmm. but the drive shaft, it sort of causes a little bit of lift as it turns and and so the, the bike can be switched on the all-wheel drive system it's got a clutch it can be switched on and off um oh cool uh, so i don't use it all the time only when i'm in a situation where it's needed um so to stop it wearing out mm -hmm. um and um the very cool thing is it doesn't you don't have to drive it unless so if the back wheel slips the front wheel engages automatically so it's like having its own mm. differential built into it. And um, wow. uh, so it's very helpful, like, you know, hitting like soft, soft patches. You can't see sand or snow um, and, 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 and it 
the bike, I can feel it pulling me out. I mean, yes, it takes a little mm. bit of power as it would anyway, but it means that I'm, it's not a magic bullet. It's like, it just helps me get a little bit more grip and helps mm -hmm. me to stay on the bike for longer, like going through the high sand dunes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes <laughs> the bike's going to go up the soft face of a sand dune and, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard, but, but, but it gives me more chance of staying on the bike for longer. Um, that's what I want it for. Others, it's, it's apparently amazing for downhill because, mm -hmm. because cornering especially, you know, the front wheel can pull you out when the mm -hmm. back wheel flips around a corner, that kind of thing. So there are other uses for it. And since Steve sort of started with de designing mine, and that's he's sort of tooled up enough to make little batches of, of these bikes. So they oh, can, wow. uh, there's a sort of four-inch wide one and a five-inch wide one, basically, um, plus his mountain bikes. Um, and now he's also mm. got um, uh, electric bikes. That, that Apparently they're quite going quite well. Um, yeah, I can imagine that having quite a good use for it, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Which is not my thing, but but hey, I can see a purpose for it. So um, mm -hmm. that's a good use of his technology. So um, yeah, the bike. Look, I'm I'm a really proud of it because I, I, you know, it's not my. I'm not an engineer, but but I've you know facilitated that design, and now you know I've got another fellow adventurer also about to. Um, cycle in the empty quarter in, in, in Saudi Arabia and it's like mm. Oman and uh, he's going to be using one of us. <laughs> so, oh, cool. um, so the bike's got its place. It's not, depends what, you know, if you're just going down roads and things, you don't need it. I'm using mm -hmm. it, the same bike for my current journey across Australia, which I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, but I've got a, I managed to actually get a fall off. I've never had a crash before or not one. I've had a lot of crashes, but not mm -hmm. nothing stopped me and I managed to break my collarbone. So um, oh, my I'm, goodness. I'm recovering at the moment. I've had surgery just over four weeks ago and, and plates and screws in my collarbone and, and, and I wow. think should be ready in four weeks we're planning to resume. But I'm using the same bike. And so this time there's a bit, out of 6,000 Ks, there's about a thousand kilometers of of asphalt tarmac a bit more um and then there's a lot of sand and gravel and then there's sand like going through the simpson desert and there's also you know corrug soft corrugations which are horrible to you like corrugations mm, yeah. on the surface so so i've decided to take my my greenland bike again uh got, got a whole set of new innards because the skeleton coast really did make a mess of my bike um i, I put faster tires on for the first um for the for the good road that i've just covered and then i'm just changing the tires now to have the 4.8 um uh because i'm going to be heading into like the simpson desert and things um mm. so it were it's still a pretty good you know as far as fat bikes go it's very fast for what it you know, but it's not. Yeah. It's still not going to be as efficient on good roads as other bikes because it's just more rough right. the road. So I used four-inch wide tires for the good road, and now I've got the bigger tires going on as we speak for mm. um, uh, ready to go again. So yeah. So yeah, it's a cool. It's a very interesting technology, um, and as I said, you know, fat bikes have changed quite a lot of where you can go on sand and snow. Um, mm -hmm. uh, this is just an, it's really an extension of that for what, when you're wanting a little bit extra, 
Um, and over the distances that I'm traveling, I'm happy to get that little bit extra. <laughs> right. Every little bit counts, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, as you said, you know, this Namibia trip and others before it are sort of preparation for this bigger trip, this trek across Antarctica. Um, so I'm curious, what did you learn on this Namibia trip? Like what, what surprises did you um, come across along the way? Or, or what did you figure out that you want to do differently maybe? Or, or what, um, what you're going to expect to see in Antarctica? I guess there's two parts to that question. One is about the riding side of it, and one and one is about Namibia. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so uh, the riding side of it, it, that was meant to be a mental test in particular, um, very interesting mental test, but it certainly was. Mm. Uh, the, the first half of that journey down to where there's um, some habitation around Swakotland and Walvis Bay, um, that was is, is flat of the sand, the high dunes or that as high and they're further back. So, mm -hmm. um, so that was more just vast, open, enormous beaches and just little sort of um, dry rivers that sort of flow underground and flow to the sea. Mm -hmm. and, um, wildlife, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, you get wildlife because there's, um, they tend to stay along the rivers where there's potentially food for them. Um, right. Uh, whereas... Um, then in the south, after the, it's like the massive sand dunes that people have seen dropping down to the sea. So unbelievably spectacular. Um, so the Namib Desert's the world's oldest desert, um, mm. and basically vies with the Atacama as being driest. And it pretty much doesn't rain, uh, apart from the most of the uh, moisture comes as fog from the sea because of this cold mm. ocean current. It brings the fog, and that's. A lot of the plants and animals are adapted um, to get moisture from the fog. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. And even like the, they have desert adapted lions and desert adapted elephants and things. And, and they're, they're not a, new, a different species, but the lions, for example, have learnt to um, hunt on the beach so they, they, they to get catch seals. So you get lions going in huh. water. Now that doesn't happen. Oh, anymore. wow. I didn't yeah. see that, but it's hard to imagine. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cats in water usually don't uh, mix, do they? But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so you know, there's so there's quite a zone there um, where, luckily, I was able to uh, bring in the help of the, the the world's foremost expert on these desert lions and learn from him. But he also was tracking them, so he, he knows where they are and he knew where that you know where I had to pass so he was protecting mm. us and giving us advice um as well so you know there was one right near the roadside a, a, a lioness with cubs which is like oh god <laughs> so you have <laughs> wow. to watch the film to see how that one went I'm still here which is a good thing so um, yes <laughs> um yeah I just learned so much but down the other down you know there's beautiful Gemsbok or um, Oryx, as you might know of them, uh, beautiful, just in in the desert. It's wondering how you wonder how they survive, but uh, mm. um, yeah, uh, brown hyenas like they're quite rare. And we saw in the north, we saw some, and then I also saw one in the distance in the south. Um, wow! And 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 then so so going through that that desert, I just love the deserts anyway. Um, so for just learning cycling wise. 
getting into the right zone in my, my mind and also the skill set mm. to cycle the high dunes to, to, to get through. You know, I still do 50-odd Ks a day um, through that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so that's – and I fell quite a few times, but that's okay. That's calculated falls. <laughs> right. A good bit softer, I guess, too. You didn't, yeah. didn't break your collarbone there. No, no, no. You waited until no, you got back to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, not – onto a hard clay pan, which is like concrete. It's like, this is different. Um, mm. So no people either, like, so that was just amazing. Also, you know, but navigation's quite tricky, you know, and pretty easy to get lost. Um, losing the vehicles, the wind erases tracks um, very quickly. So there's that, mm. there's the ship shipwrecks, like incredible. And, and then in the south, um, why it's the diamonds bit so there's basically diamonds come down the orange river come from the kimberley region uh, originally mm -hmm. and over millions of years they come down this orange river and then they they wash out to sea and then back onto the coast so the, the, the diamonds that are were found um a bit over a hundred you know sort of 100 years ago or so a little bit more than that um you know it, of course there's the richest diamond fields in the world <laughs> So, mm -hmm. sort of an area about 300 kilometres long along the coast, and and a big buffer zone all the way back in is called Spurgerbeet, which is the forbidden diamond mining area. Um, mm -hmm. And so, to get permission to go through that is unheard of. And my people there weren't having any luck. And I just started looking on the internet, and I found eventually I found a, a mining document with the chief operating officer's email address and. <laughs> So, so I, I contacted contacted him, and and he loved the idea of what I was doing. So it's like a, to get as far as Luderitz on the northern edge of that is is a cool thing. But to do the whole coastline, mm -hmm. including that three hundred kilometres, is really special. And basically, he reversed the decision uh, to allow us with a strict restricted access permit to go through. So yes, we, we couldn't go exactly mm -hmm. off the coast. Um, because a lot of it's rocky anyway, but but also um, uh, for about a hundred kilometres from the river up, there's just like mining operations. Um, so yeah. they actually take the they actually take the land back from the sea to, to mine the diamonds. Wow. So um, so but but to go through that area, it's like untouched for a for a century, and it's pristine, and they're gradually mm -hmm. going to be opening it up. Um, because because the the company which is the um, Namdeb which is the Namibian government and De Beers, um, uh, they're, they're just going to be mining in the ocean uh, soon. So, hmm. so that area is going to be fantastic. You know, there's there's ghost towns and things there. And, wow. And so uh, it's just very cool. So I feel very privileged. Um, and and yeah. as, as far as learning mentally. Um, about from that journey for Antarctica, it's really just all of that attitude that we've explained about the cycling and the wind. It's also the strength that's required, the core strength, getting through the sand, under, which is say the, the techniques are the same as snow, um, mm -hmm. learning to read the sand, which are the soft bits, you know, oh, right. path in front, um, trying to avoid the softest bits if possible, um, gaining momentum, keeping the gears very low or light so that when I do hit something soft, I can actually power out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the only way I can keep going all day anyway. 
Um, so I was just trying to skim over the surface of the sand, which is similar to snow. Um, and then, then mm-hmm. with hard stuff to be able to put that power on with, with the all-wheel drive system and then, yeah, do it again and again. So it's pretty <laughs> much but it's, it, it's just so rewarding and satisfying as well um, to, to think, you know, there's no road there. And I, I avoid vehicle tracks anyway in the sand because it's harder. Uh, so, hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. And to cycle across Antarctica is a different thing. The, the main issue for me is the cold, actually, because I come from a warmer climate. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, it's very hard for me to get um, experience in the cold uh, without costing an awful lot of money. Um, and, and I've done, say, four polar training expeditions. I, I'll, once I have the funding, which is the main issue stopping me, um, uh, then, you know, I, I'll fine-tune those techniques a little bit more. Um, it, it's getting mm. clothing, protective clothing and systems right. That's that's just needs a bit more fine-tuning. I, I've got the, the general plan and the general idea of which things are better to wear and use. Um, and I've got ideas for little innovations. Maybe it comes from that farming background. But, uh, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, just for example, you know, in, in the extreme cold, you know, um, you know, at the start of any session, I'd be very, very cold and you cut, you know, you've got sort of uh, big um, down jackets on and things within about two minutes is such hard work that you become really warm. <laughs> the idea of controlling the body moisture, perspiration. Um, right. So what do I do? Like if I stop, what do I do with that coat? Because I've got the other stuff, on, things underneath. Um, you know, so I'm thinking like a little seat pack that, but I don't want to be trying to do buckles and straps when it's that cold because by the time I get them mm-hmm. on and off, I'm cold again. <laughs> so right. I'm thinking like, you know, why not have a Velcro um, sort of big mouth to open it up, stuff it in, back up again. So it's just like mm-hmm. oh, stuff it in, done. No, 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 just little things like that. I, I haven't made, had that made yet, but I reckon that's the go. <laughs> that's my solution for that. Right. Um, just keeping, you know, just trialing out different foods and things because we've got to be able to carry, you know, even on the plane, getting down there, you're limited and, and being able to, you've got to, you know, can't go to a shop anywhere. So it's, it, it's like, you've got to be exact and have the right number of calories worked out and be much more specific in that planning. So I'm always trialing different mm. things. Um, give you an example, something I trialed for the first time in Namibia was uh, MCT coconut oil, um, spe- some special stuff. And I, <laughs> I reckon, I reckon having that in the morning was really good. It helped the energy go, kept, kept it going for longer. Um, mm. So just think, just things like that, you know, I'm trialing out sort of using myself as a bit of a you know, guinea pig at times. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So the sand stuff, you know, I'll be on the sand again in this expedition. And, and keeping these expeditions going uh, are great things to do. I'm not, they're not just training expeditions. They're actually meant, meant to be really interesting expeditions in their own right. And that also includes mm. altitude training as well, um, or expeditions such as in the Indian Himalaya that I've done. Uh, wow. uh, so, so they're all meant to be worthwhile on their own, as well as keeping me mentally expedition fit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. physically and mentally expedition fit. 
um, and just keeping that story going, keeping, uh, and in, in the meantime, we've created a great film, <laughs> Diamonds in the Sand, and hope to create another one out of this expedition now. So, so it's, it should be building on my, my profile and getting better at other things. Mm -hmm. um, and then all the while, you know, I'm looking for um, the major sponsors. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a cheap thing, but, but if it's a right. company that can afford that money, it's also, um, when you start looking at the marketing side of it, it's actually, if you work it out compared to say creating an advert for telly, it's a no brainer. You'd think you'd be supporting <laughs> me because you know, the cost right. is so, so much of a better investment of what they can create out of it. Um, mm -hmm. but it's still very difficult, especially when it's me trying to ask for, it. you know, when I get more people around me, sometimes that's better, but then it essentially still comes down to me driving it and, and selling it. So, um, right. You know, it's, 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 it's all possible. And, and I'm not aiming for this year because <clears throat> COVID, we still don't know in Australia, we still can't even leave the country. Um, mm -hmm. so it's too, it's too many, you know, risks to get that kind of co commitment. The chances of us leaving Australia by the end of this year are, are still slim. So I'm aiming for the, the following season. So that'll be November 22. Okay. Um, I've got to do this soon because I'm older, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, but you know, even with that, as I get older, who cares if I'm cycling an hour, a kilometer or two per hour slower, it doesn't actually matter. It ma mm -hmm. My skills are more about understanding what I can do. And that's what I, you know, and, and then, and then going with that and, and that's how to, anyone should do it anyway. Uh, so yeah. not trying to, I'm not trying to break speed records doesn't matter <laughs> how to get their collarbones forget about this accident but but generally how to right. get it safely um, um, yeah. and, and deliver on everything you know obviously cycling but also all the other parts to the story as well mm. a lot of other yeah. goes in. well I was gonna ask you you know what were the most challenging parts of the trip but I feel like it's all challenging. I mean, it's like everything you've mentioned is a challenge, you know, is it whether it's physical or it's logistical or it's funding or mental or, I mean, equipment, it's like everything is a challenge. And I think to me, that's what makes it so interesting and so exciting and inspirational even um, to just see a successful expedition and, and to think about everything that goes into that. Um, yeah, it's just incredibly inspiring. Um, and, you know, I also, we kind of touched on this, you know, it sounds like the, the research and the logistics are a really big part of it. And, you know, you're talking about even down to thinking about, um, you know, where are you going to put your, your jacket when you stop on the bike? I mean, thinking at that level of detail, um, obviously, I mean, it takes a ton of planning and a lot of foresight and, you know, I can understand too, that like the physical part, you know, that's kind of an afterthought, you know, I mean, it's like, that's a part of it, but you know, you're going to spend way more of your time. It sounds like just, just doing the logistical preparation and planning and, and fundraising and all of that. And so once that's all in place, getting on the bike is kind of your last concern. Is that, is that an accurate way to yeah. sort of put it? It doesn't matter how good a cyclist you are if you don't find the funds in the first place and you don't have the ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so so <laughs> right. you, you can you can go in the gym and you can sit on a stationary bike. You can go out and just 
do I mean you, you you can cycle however you like but but to create one of these it takes as you say such a web of commitments there's a lot of skills in trying to find um, mm. the sport support and funding and then you know it, it's a it's all right to do that for one expedition, but then you can't always ask the same people over and over again. Um, you know, I've got a couple of private sponsors that have really made a huge difference, uh, but but the hardest thing probably of the whole lot is actually finding funding. Um, and, you know, it, it's trying, it's not really just a donation just for me to do something. It's It's hopefully an investment. That, mm. that I can give, you know, give some, some, at least at the minimum, some good marketing materials back. So the idea of, you know, creating, you know, diamonds in the sand, where we're creating good, we're creating a story, we're creating this, this amazing story, actually, mm -hmm. that I'm so proud of. But, but then now, hopefully, you know, sponsors will see that they've seen that it's been out on outside TV. It's about to be shown on Nat Geo Asia, fifty-four countries next. Oh wow. Um, I know Sky New Zealand's bought it, still sort of trying to sell it in Australia and the UK and stuff. But, you know, it's like this is the that's the first time I've got it to that level. And hopefully that helps my marketability for the to make the other pits a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. you, know? Um, yeah. um, you know, I also write. So so I write magazine articles and things. So all of those extra things feed back into that invest the idea of you know, I'm afraid I have to sell myself as a brand here, even though it's not <laughs> what I think, but we're all brands. <laughs> right, what we right. So it's just a matter of um, trying to realize the value of the journey for sponsors, but also ed especially education-wise. And when you see, I guess one of the things that makes me feel um, most satisfied is when people get it. They, they actually read a magazine article or they hear me speak or they – um see a film and and they go off and they create their own challenge journey mm. and it changes who they are and that's that's the most or probably almost the most rewarding thing and it really inspires me to to do it better to get to more people um, mm. um so so that and that's happened quite a bit especially like talking in schools um and and kit you know the students can, you know, really get, have some great ideas, and um, you know, when they just go off and do their own things, that that's that's really amazing to me. It doesn't have to be kids; yeah. it can be adults too. <laughs> you know? Right, so right. That's that, that's fine. You know? um, so. Well, another one of your accolades uh, that we haven't mentioned is that you're a fellow at the world-renowned Explorers Club in New York which first admitted women, I believe, in the 1980s. So I wanted to ask you, what are the challenges that women continue to face in the world of adventuring and exploring today? Well, I think that the the field has changed quite a lot in, say, the last 10 years compared to hmm. when I was first trying to find sponsors and get things up and running, um, say, pre-Africa especially. Um, I mean, I was lesser known too, but but just to get seen and to to get the PR compared to a guy, I think was way harder. And then hmm. in people's minds, I think it was also, oh, if a woman can do it, it means a man can do it easily, and that's just it's not true. <laughs> it's like it's like yes, sometimes there's difference in physical strength, but there's so many other ways of doing stuff, and I'm you know I, 
I'm pretty, a lot of women are pretty strong too, I must say. Mm. Uh, and there's the mental side of things. And often, in fact, women tend to plan things that they can, realistic things and, and sort of mm-hmm. those things in place a little bit better than older men do, but sometimes the younger guys are a bit more gung ho. <laughs> Um, but but now I think um, yeah they'll they'll do some amazing stuff but then there's a lot of put themselves probably in dangers that are unnecessary. Mm. Um, mm. Um, but I think now the, there's actually especially with not just the Me Too movement but before that and and I think there's a really fantastic opportunities for uh, female adventurers and and even when it comes to um, having those who are able to you know, lead on um, uh, with with series and things, there's quite a market for it. Um, uh, so it's kind of turned around a lot, you know, um, and hmm. to be to, to be recognised from my university as well with an honorary doctorate. It's like that was because of, in particular, because of a, a um, um, they saw me do a, a presentation like I did an Australian tour with presenting and showing about especially about Africa and that work mm-hmm. and the ability to communicate that work and the community work and education work that I've done so it was kind of full-on honor and those kind of things help too just to be recognized and I don't crave that but but to be recognized actually helps and and opens the playing field up a little bit more mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense but Right. I don't do things because I'm a woman or a man. I just do things because I want to do things. And, <laughs> you know, um, I guess growing up, you know, it was certainly, you know, in the 70s, 80s, not, you know, I was very young in the 70s, but um, there's certainly a certain culture, especially here in Australia. Um, and so it, it takes a while to step out, like to have the confidence to step out of that and not do what's expected and, Yes, I could mm. wrong with being a teacher or that that career that I might have had, um, but I don't think I would have been satisfied because I, didn't, I, I it wasn't me on its own. I felt I just wasn't. So the kids were teaching me more than I knew myself. I didn't feel like I mm. I, I, I was very complete there, um, and so I wasn't. Mm. I was just going through the motions rather than really appreciating that job. Uh, so, so I think you know the, the, that idea of being able to step out away from my family first so that they you know mm-hmm. and then it's taken me a long 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 time decades to to, to get to this point so um, yeah I'm, I'm going to explore that now to do whatever i can um and and to use all of those experiences um to to be as you know to have as great an impact as possible and I, i'm always yeah planning and thinking of the bigger things now and thinking okay how do i make that count and and what is the message that I'm trying to say? So it's, you know, I'm doing that through adventure and expeditions and things. And, um, but then I have to push myself as the presenter or um, you know, whatever. So um, mm-hmm. it, it's all part of it. And so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're obviously, you know, you're representing um, and showing other girls and women that this is something that they can do too. Right. I mean, it's, you know, obviously when you were younger, you didn't have those same role models or or other explorers or adventurers uh, who were female to look up to. And so, yeah, it seems like, you know, hopefully this is something that can kind of snowball and, and 
obviously you are a very big part of that. Yeah, well, I try, you know, I try to do do what I can and um, um, sort of I think just lead by example is probably a way of looking at it. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to inspire men too. <laughs> it's not, you know, <laughs> um, uh, and in fact, you know, often just about always I have, um, if, if I've got a support crew, I've, I've done, you know, more than half of my journeys I've done without support. Um, I've done about 55, I've worked this out, I've done about 55,000 Ks unsupported and I've done about 30 or so supported. But, um, wow. um, you know, they're, they're different things. And, um, you know, it was before I was going, oh, you've got to do this unsupported, blah, blah, blah. It just depends on the message. And often I find mm. supported expeditions actually much more difficult in that I have to find about four times as much money um, and, and kind of support and I've got to find a team that's you know I've had I've learned the hard way with that especially you know one of the hardest things about my breaking the cycle in, Af- in Africa wasn't Africa it was managing the team um, uh, when I'm out there in the mud or in the sand or whatever and they're you know cooped up in a vehicle and getting disgruntled and like I can't control it and, and it's yet it's my vision, you know, it's, it becomes very difficult. It shouldn't be a barrier, but but I think mm. women, are, and they're often more calculating and they want to keep themselves in a less of a risk-taking environment. But it, it it's really my advice would be just to try small things, to, to just test little things out. And then mm. it's amazing what you can do, but most people will tell you, you know, you can't do that or, or you'll get that feeling, or or how do you break out of that? But 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 you've just got to take that step out the door. But but you know have right. a plan and and then do and then think about the story you want to tell. That 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 that'll make a big difference as well. And then mm. you might not you know you might learn about what equipment to take, or but a lot of it's also in your mind about how to sit on a you know not just sitting on a bike for eight hours a day. I you know. I'm, um, I'm thinking about things and I'm putting things in perspective and I'm, mm. I've got all sorts of techniques that, that are useful in other parts of my life that I've, I've learnt um, on a bike. So there's a lot of things you need to, to, to put in, but you can't, you can't beat experience. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously not everyone is going to be able to ride their bike around the world or, you know, explore um, some of these environments that you're able to get to. So are there other ways that people can be sort of curious explorers in their day-to-day lives? Do you have some like sort of concrete advice for people who maybe want to get started or people who just want like a little taste of of adventure um, of that life, you know, to to kind of... Um, I don't know, switch things up a little bit. Hmm. I think everyone should should try to include it in some way. Um, the warning is that it can be uh, addictive. Um, <laughs> um, but definitely, you know, you, you imagine, you know, you have a long weekend. Um, why not plan something? You know, just just um, think about bike. And, and it takes a bit of courage to, to start with, but you can't hmm. not try it. Um, right. And you'll you'll be surprised at what you can actually do. Um, and then once you've tried a little thing, then you think, okay, well maybe I'll try this little journey. And, and I like the idea of putting it into a journey because it just means a bit more. Like to get from A, mm-hmm. a to B or whatever your challenge is, it doesn't have to even be a 
physical journey. It could be whatever that journey, put it into sort of that perspective. And that's what I also mm-hmm. talk to, to kids. You know, it's about first creating the vision. I spent ages creating the vision before, before I do anything else because if you're not 100% certain what you're doing and why you're doing it and, you know, that kind of thing, when it, the times are tough, that's when you're less likely to pull through. You've got to be able to, mm. you know, if you if you really have that clear in your mind. So I, I spend a lot of time putting that vision in place and imagining what it can be like and doing then doing research and then all of my journeys have had to be adapted a little bit because it's that's that's the nature of adventure. But, but right. I try and keep, for me, I always try and keep that journey in a continuous line, try not to break the line of my journey. Um, I can I can go off the journey and 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 be something, but then I come back to the point. So uh, hmm. so especially when it's supported and then I've got to go and see a project or whatever. There's no I, there's no drama in driving away somewhere to to go and meet certain people, but then I come back to that behind that point so that I I keep that. Yeah, and that's sort of like the narrative. It's it's this real journey. It, it's like I've done every kilometer or whatever. Um, hmm. So. So yeah, so for anyone, I would yeah, take some time, have a go. Um, um, don't have to tell everyone about it. You don't even have to do that. <laughs> you don't have to post it on social media. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? No, not to start. Well, not unless you want to. I mean, you can do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but but don't feel that pressure that oh, you, you need to be compared with other people. It's it's your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for me, I'm ultra competitive, so I I don't. Sometimes I just I'll try things out quietly first and just make sure they're going to work before I start posting things. Um, yeah. You no, know, um, uh, it's a, it's a that's a very different world to, to when I started and and you know it's a very necessary world that you, you know I'm I'm probably not the master of and should be better at. But um, you know you've got to be able to post things and it's, sure you can publish things, but you you can still choose what you publish. So you can still go out there mm-hmm. and have a little adventure. And it, it could be your little adventure. You could be a, your adventure with your dog or whatever it is. But, you know, <laughs> right. or, or you know, um, it, it could be whatever. But but just have a go. Um, you know, I I tend to do because my my journeys tend to be quite my visions. They, these days I tend to cycle if I'm doing them unsupported, unsupport, uh, especially you know, I'm doing them on my own, um, which I'm very comfortable with. It's very if you have someone that you're adventuring with, that's great. But just make sure that you're both on the same page with the vision in the first place. Otherwise, things can, mm. can you know, it really tests people out. So you yeah. find you think you really know someone, but when you're under real pressure and when you're pushing it out day after day or whatever, you know, you might not know them as well. <laughs> so that can test, test relationships. Um, yeah, but 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 that's another thing, you know. Just do that adventure with a friend. That that that's something you know depends on you really. Um, mm-hmm. But give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's fight. all great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all great advice and definitely inspiring uh, to think about the the things that are possible. You know, at the sort of human limits and the scale of what you're doing. But then for all of us to think about sort of what we're capable of or what excites us um, and then just going for it. I mean, it sounds like you, um, you know, you never know what you can do until you try to do it. 
And, and then you're going to learn something along the way, even if you don't do it, you know, you're, you may get out there and figure out you don't like doing it or you, you, you learn a better way and you always just come back and plan the next one. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a part of life. So it's, it's, doesn't have to be say it doesn't have to be on a bike it doesn't have to be walking it could be whatever your your everyone's different and that's what's that's great that that's how it should be um so, yeah um give it a go but you've got to you've got to step out there at some point don't just sit in your at home planning it on the, on behind a screen all the time you've actually got, <laughs> got to got to you know and that's how we learn I mean, that's that's innate of human beings that's that's what makes us different from other animals is our curiosity that's where it all starts from everything that we've ever achieved as human beings has come from exploration it's come from being able to explore to be able to find things out work things out from science from you know experience that's how we learn so so we're meant to do it (laughs) yeah yeah That's awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us um, and inspire us with your journeys. Um, And we're really looking forward to hearing more and seeing what you're able to do in the next few months and years. So thanks. It's a pleasure, Jeff. It's been lovely talking to you on the other side of the world. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, the documentary Diamonds in the Sand will air on Outside TV this summer. And you can also find out more about Kate's previous expeditions and some of the things that she has coming up uh, at breakingthecycle.education. And we'll have that link in the show notes. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.